Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Shuttletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Seattle and top-tier leadership training is Bob Wolverton. Bob and I are going to be discussing today an interesting article he wrote for our magazine. First, Bob, thanks for taking time out of your morning to talk to us. Well, thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. Actually, I've been excited and waiting and anticipating our conversation today, so it's great to be here. As frankly, a vibe man, because it's a little bit different from what we talk about. Um, you wrote an interesting article for the SCC magazine about employee terminations, but in many ways, it was really a discussion of corporate culture with terminations being an inflection point for them. I thought that was, you know, unusual, different, thought provoking. First, let me ask you, when does a termination, in your opinion, solve a problem and when does it delude us into thinking we have solved a problem when we really haven't? Well, I, that's an excellent question, Adam, because a lot of times I think that we give ourselves a false sense of security thinking that we've eliminated the problem through a termination. But let me give you an example. Of, we'll create a fictitious example here. So let's say that an employee gets terminated and I'm that employee's boss. So in essence, I'm responsible for facilitating that employee's success. And I'm also responsible for safeguarding their welfare because that's part of being a leader. So if one of the employees that I'm responsible for gets fired, in essence, that's not the result that I wanted. So the first thing that I need to be asking myself is what could I have done or what should I have done to prevent this from happening? In essence, as the leader, what's my culpability in this termination? Because like I said, my, my expectation is that my employees do great and they don't get fired. So I, if I don't get the outcome that I expected, then I've got to dig deep to figure out, was it just malicious intent on the employee's part or is there something that I could have done? So let's say if this was a policy violation, why the employee got terminated, was there, uh, am I certain that the employee understood the policy? Or did we do one of those quick acceptance things where we just issue a policy, here, sign off on the policy to show that you received it, and we didn't really verify that they truly understood it? Or did was there an environment where um, they get the policy and maybe they're looking at it and they're going, what the heck? You know, this came down from the ivory tower. They're going, what the heck? This doesn't make any sense. This isn't even working. It was like, what are they smoking up there in the ivory tower? Or is there an opportunity where there's a there's a opportunity for misinterpretation or misapplication of that policy? Or were there some other variables that could result in misapplication of this policy? So in this short, what have we talked about now, 30 seconds on this policy issue, we've come up with five different variables, a, six, a fifth or sixth variables term, or excuse me, malice, <clears throat> but we immediately skip the other five variables and just terminate the employee. Well, if that's truly the case, if one of those other variables was the true underlying cause of this employee's behavior that got them terminated, and we haven't analyzed that, eventually somewhere down the road, another employee is going to repeat that behavior because it's built into the system and we're going to wind up firing them too. So that's why I think the first question to the supervisor or, you know, any type of leaders we have to ask ourselves when our employees, what I call get their tail in a ringer, you know, do a career ending behavior in essence, as the leader being responsible to facilitate that person's success and to safeguard their welfare, I have to, the first thing I have to start thinking is, what could I have done or what should I have done to prevent that from occurring? So to answer your question, Adam, when we don't take the time to ask ourselves those questions, we may be deluding ourselves that the employee was being malicious and termination solved our problem when that may not be the cause at all. It certainly may have been another variable that we just didn't 
take the time to even identify. It's all a good caution. I mean, there there are a lot of things that generally lead up to the termination. And the question is, you know, what could have we done differently? And, and one area I want to focus on is often terminations could have been avoided if the situation had been dealt with sooner or, or avoided completely. First, how do we create a culture where employees are less likely to end up in situations where drastic actions need to be taken? Well, actually, the answer to that is more of a two-part answer. And I'll just say really quick, uh, rudder tap and trust. So let's talk about the rudder tap for just a, a second. So I'll use an analogy here. So in my, in my real life, I'm an avid boater and I own a trawler. So it goes through the water pretty slow, usually around eight or 10 miles an hour. So when I'm setting a course, I often choose a landmark that's far away in the distance. And that landmark might be a small hill, a tree or some sort of landmass. But as I'm headed towards that landmark, I'm dealing with external factors as waves and wind and current. And occasionally, because of those external forces, I'll see that I'm drifting off course slightly. So sometimes that combination of forces just gets me slightly off course and it's almost unrecognizable and thus I'm watching. And so as the skipper, when I recognize that the boat's getting off course, what do I do? I make minor adjustments to the rudder to keep us on course, just a little rudder tap. And that's usually all it takes to do the trick. And the same is true with employee behavior. Sometimes a little error or little indiscretion or something else that's very minor is done by the employee. And all they need is a little rudder tap to get back on course. Nothing major, just a little corrective comment or corrective coaching. But here's where the challenge comes in. We as human beings, we prefer to avoid interpersonal conflict. And this little rudder tap could be considered a bit of an interpersonal conflict because no one likes to hear that they're doing something wrong. And you know, me as the supervisor, I'm really busy right now. And that little deviation, it wasn't that big of a deal. And I'd really rather avoid the conflict so I don't do the little rudder tap while the deviation is still very slight. This is where supervisors and managers, they have to be brave enough to have these little rudder tap conversations, these little potentially interpersonal conflicts. But here's a really important point to remember. And this probably might even be the most important part of this entire podcast that we do today. Behaviors that are accepted in the workplace because we as the supervisor didn't have that little rudder tap conversation, that behavior will eventually get repeated because we didn't correct it. And once they get repeated, that behavior has just become part of your new culture. And that part of your new culture eventually becomes the norm. Then there will be another slight deviation from the new norm that goes uncorrected. And that behavior, that new deviation gets repeated and again becomes your new, new culture. And as you can imagine, it doesn't take long before our culture is beginning to get way off course. And oftentimes it takes a crisis, like running aground in our boat, before anyone recognizes just how far off course the culture got. But here's the second part to that answer. When a leader has developed trust with their employee, these little rudder tap conversations are much, much easier to have. Because if there is no trust, if the employee doesn't respect the leader, the employee will just be thinking their boss is being a micromanager, they're being a tyrant. And they're silently thinking to themselves, just leave me alone. But if there is trust, if the employee truly believes the supervisor has the employee's best interest at heart and truly wants the employee to succeed, even though the little rudder tap discussion can still be a little hard to receive, it'll be received in the light in which it was intended. And that is to prevent the employee from going so far off course and running aground, which in the workplace might look like a career ending behavior. So the short answer, Adam, is that by building trust with our employees, when they believe that we want the best for them 
and we want to safeguard their welfare, it's much easier to have these little rudder tap conversations way early before it gets too far off course and to prevent the employee from running aground. Well, and, and to get those conversations going, you know, you're right. We need a lot of trust and you also need a willingness of people to speak out. You know, often there are warning signs along the way where suddenly, you know, the mountain that you were looking at is off to your right instead of dead ahead. Um, someone does something that's a little out of line, not major, but no one had the courage to speak up. And that's either the manager or their peers who saw something wrong. How do we encourage that both from the managers and peers? Well, I think part of it is what we what we just discussed is where we talked about building that trust environment. But we have to build the trust among the colleagues, too. And I think a, a lot of the times so that we can do that, particularly if we're being proactive, is that we can have preemptive discussions about what an employee's action or intervention might look like and what it might feel like if they're trying to help you to avoid walking, what I say, walking off of the cliff, basically engaging in a career-ending behavior. So I'll use a real-life example of this uh, that was just recent. It was actually a police body cam video that I saw now in a variety of states over the last couple of years, the states have uh, enacted police accountability laws. And among those police accountability laws is the duty for officers to intervene when they see one of their coworkers doing something wrong, usually an excessive use of force or a violation of civil rights. Well, in this particular example that I saw was they, a group of police officers had arrested a suspect. He'd been handcuffed. He'd been placed in the backseat of the patrol car. Now, I don't know what agitated this particular patrol sergeant so much, but he was so agitated. He's Basically, he's got his head in the back of the car and he's yelling at the suspect in his face and he reaches out to pull out his pepper spray. He's going to pepper spray this restrained suspect, which is obviously a violation of, of policy. So there's a new young female officer and she looks like she's fresh out of the police academy. So she's obviously been trained in what the state law and what the department of policy requires an intervention. So to prevent this officer from using an excessive use of force, she grabs him by his duty belt from behind and pulls him away from the car. In essence, she's just done him a favor. She's prevented him from doing a career-ending behavior. But his responsive mm. behavior to that was he immediately turned around, grabbed the female officer by the throat, pushed her up against a patrol car, and you can tell he's he's uh, verbalizing his um, non-appreciation for her intervention. I mean, he's yelling, you can tell he's yelling at her, and like I said, this video had no audio. Well, that behavior of him turning around and grabbing that female officer by the throat that was a career-ending behavior. But I'm thinking to myself, we're teaching, you know, these young employees this intervention component. But what if, why, why are we not having the discussions about, okay, if somebody's basically giving you constructive feedback or they're intervening in some way, what does that feel like and why are they doing that? And to recognize that it may not be comfortable at the time, but they're not trying to interfere with you. They're trying to help you and they're trying to prevent you from running off the cliff. And so that's where I think what we can do as far as building the trust among our peers is have preemptive discussions and, and talk about what it feels like to get constructive feedback from another employee or get some sort of intervention from an employee and to take pause for a moment and say, well, wait, well, wait a second. Maybe I am so agitated or maybe I am so heightened in essence that I should take pause and recognize, whoa, this person's trying to help me. What am I doing wrong? just to take that moment of pause. So the way that I think we can accomplish that is in all of our different industries is to have preemptive discussions, almost almost like rehearsing a situation is if this were to happen, how would you feel? 
how would you respond? And when you can start talking about those things ahead of time, you're much more likely to get the response that you want. Wouldn't it have been great if that sergeant would have turned around and, and kind of like caught his breath for a second and said, whoa, 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 you know, I, I was totally out of control. Thank you for stopping me from doing that. But that's not the response they got because it had never been discussed. It had never been rehearsed in essence. And so I, that's where I think we can bring the, the peers online is to have these sort of trust building conversations like what is the intent and what are we trying to accomplish? So finally, one thing that I think needs to be addressed regularly is whether we have a good apple in a rotten barrel or a rotten apple in a good barrel. Uh, what's the best way to make that determination? Wow, that's, that is something that I've watched and I've read about. And internally, when you're in that barrel, it's hard to say because a lot of times they go, oh, that person was just a bad apple. That person they fired was just a bad apple. But they weren't a bad apple when you hired them. How'd they become a bad apple? And so then you have to start looking, well, well what's the culture? And one of the biggest, um, what I would say, red flags that, I, that I've noticed from the things that I've read in other businesses were basically we've had an organizational culture that became a, a barrel that spoiled a good apple into a, a rotten apple. And that's where the shift in values changes that in essence, the ends justify the means. So when we think about it from an ethical standpoint, it's like whatever it takes to get this end product, it doesn't matter what we do in between. And usually in the corporate world, it's when we start to prioritize profits over everything else. You know, so I and I think was even in the article that I wrote, I mentioned the comment about the Ford Pino, where there was this young man that was hired uh, after he graduated from engineering school. And he was kind of a social activist in the 60s and felt that his morals could withstand any challenge from the corporate culture. And he wanted to really make things right from the wrongdoings that the corporate world was doing. And yet he got into the corporate world and now he's gotten promoted a few times where his um, his responsibility was being the recall coordinator. And so the pin, the Ford Pinto, when it came out, it had a design flaw that caused it to burst into flames and low speed rear end collisions, causing people to burn to death in these cars. They came up with a fix that cost $11 per fix for the recall, but he made the decision that would cost more money to fix it than it would be to just let people continue to die in these fiery crashes. And in hindsight, he's looking back and goes, I can't believe I let that corporate culture of prioritizing profits over everything else drive me to making that decision. He goes, absent that culture, I would have never made that decision. I would have never allowed people to die. But once inside that barrel, it was so hard for him to, to see what that prioritization of profits was being. Well, we've all certainly seen over and over again through the years, culture's gone wrong and how good people can be influenced negatively and likewise how bad people can derail a good culture. Well, Bob, thank you for sharing these insights with us both in the magazine and on the podcast today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.